The following podcast contains explicit language, by which we mean potty talk. It's Thursday, January 11th, 2018. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca, and I have in my hand an actual article from an actual newspaper by, and I'm putting this in quotes, an actual columnist. Okay, maybe I give Daniel Henninger a little too tough a time because he incorrectly characterized the applause of key members of the Senate and never retracted it. Listen to my, listen to my year-end show if you want to know what I'm talking about. But here's the headline on his article today, and it's just, it's just fantastic. It says it all. You ready? Trump proves he's sane. Trump proves he's sane. And the fact that this is a headline offered unironically is the most ironic thing of all. At one point, Daniel Henninger talks about Trump's wonderful televised meeting about DACA using the phrase, Trump presided over this meeting like some previously undiscovered Buddha. He talked but didn't dominate. Well, he said words but didn't know. That is very Zen-like. That is very Buddha-esque. And of course, since it's about Trump and the Wall Street Journal and by Daniel Henninger, he has to contrast it with Barack Obama. What, Barack Obama had some sanity questions? No, Barack Obama didn't do meetings with the opposition as skillfully as Trump did. Or how in 2011, Mr. Obama blew up the deficit reduction deal Joe Biden had worked out in meetings and dinners with a bipartisan super committee. Mr. Obama then descended on the group to lecture it on his demand that they raise taxes on the wealthy and corporations, quote, I will not support any plan that puts all of the burden for closing our deficit on ordinary Americans, Mr. Obama magisterially intoned or presidentially said. Really, is it very magisterial not to want to put the burden on regular people? Well, according to the Trump proves he's sane column, it is. I like this. I wanted to see, was there any precedent for such a column? I went back to the archives, found a couple. JFK proves he's faithful by placing his arm around the lovely Mrs. Kennedy, the president once and for all bedeviled critics who were expecting a preapic monster by publicly executing that simple act of affection. He put to rest the notion that he was stooping two girls from the typing pool. Would a true romantic do that? Rutherford B. Hayes proves... He's clean-shaven, and of course, Taft proves he's thin. Dateline, the White House. President Taft, beset by rumors of bathtub stuckery, dispelled any notion of executive corpulence by gamely cavorting about the White House grounds without breaking too much of a sweat. At one point, the extremely ambulatory quasi-Adonis bent down to touch his toes. By the way, former President Theodore Roosevelt does seem a little large in the waistline himself. Charging up San Juan Hill, more like charging an extra dessert to room service. I don't know. I don't know who I became there. I started off as old-timey voice, and then I became, I don't know, Snagglepuss or something. I do not know if Donald Trump is sane. I do know that strongly pursuing that idea is a waste of time, unlike President Taft's waste, which will come in time to be seen as the aesthetic ideal for vigorous men of a certain constitution. And speaking of constitution, that's my spiel. Donald Trump's sanity and the constitution. But first, here is a sentiment that I think our executive will sign off on. America is the greatest country in the U.S. It's Judah Friedlander 
He's here now. Judah Friedlander is an extremely funny person who wears extremely funny hats. Sometimes you might say to yourself, well, that joke was okay, but that hat was excellent. In that way, he reminds me of Cher a little bit in the 70s. Not all the songs were good, but the outfits, the outfits were excellent. You remember, of course, his uh, book and his special where he proclaimed himself to be the world champion as he sits across from me today. He has a t-shirt subtly making that case, but boldly now on Netflix, he makes a new case, and it is that America is the greatest country in the United States. A statement so true that it has truths within it, just like Judah himself. Hello, Judah. How are you? Incredible. Thank you. (laughs) Incredible is the best way to be. Before we even start, I know you're a huge ping pong guy. You've uh, spread some of your stuff out. You have your bag and there is your ping pong paddle and ball. You travel with it all the time? Not all the time, but pretty often. Yeah. Is, Is there a special ball that you like to use? No, that doesn't matter. Well, actually, there are better ones. Yeah. The ball was made out of polyurethane for, I don't know, 50 years, 100 years. And just a year and a half ago, they changed it to plastic. And what's it's, it mean? It's a, what's it done to it's the It's a sport? shittier ball. Jesus. It, it's, a, it's slower and less spin. After about a year, they've started to make the ball a little bit better. So when you asked, is that your favorite ping pong ball? You actually brought up a very loaded question because there's all different kinds. It seems to me that ping pong has three elements, and if you change one, paddle, ball, or table, you're going to really change the sport. Did they not foresee that that would happen? Yeah, they did. It's very complicated. Yeah. It's kind of like um, it's, it's the same as government oppression and corruption and bigotry and bias that there is throughout the world. How so? Uh, well, some people, China has been dominant in the game for so many years. Right. And the International Table Tennis Federation have said they think China's too dominant and they want to make them less dominant. Yeah. So that's very uh, not cool, yeah. uh, to say the least. So they tried to make a ball that's slower with less spin on it, uh, thinking that um, this will give other countries a better chance. So it's... it's uh, it's the same kind of bullshit with any government, pretty much. I think yeah. it will probably just make the Chinese better, because that's what always happens. There's a specific rule to try to strike out at someone who's dominating. I think of two examples. One, golf, Tiger Woods. There was yeah. this whole thing with tiger-proofing courses. Or, you know, male white supremacy. Uh-huh, I mean, okay. Look, <laughs> but seriously, yeah. you know what I mean? I mean, that's that's done for a reason. That's to, to keep certain people down and keep certain people in power. Yeah. Ping pong or wherever, they're, they're, that stuff is always going on. So... You know, whoever's in power, to get freedom, to get justice, it always has to be fought for. It's never something that's given to you. Whoever's in power is almost always going to try to corrupt and oppress. What, that's my philosophy. What are the means that the hoi polloi, the, the masses, can strike back against the ping pong change? And maybe we could use that as a lesson for the rest of yeah, us. Yeah, I, I don't know. I tried to get people to unite a little bit, but most people just accept it. We're like, yeah, that sucks. Nothing you can do about it, you know? And, yeah. You know, through much of my career, I didn't focus on on these big human rights issues as much. It was more, it was dark, twisted stuff, but more just escapism, fantasy. You know, my my entire special satirizes not just the United States, but the world and and the oppression that that government does and the hypocrisy of of it. And, you know, especially this country. What I really satirize is American exceptionalism. Yes. And and about, you know, seven or so years ago, I started doing shows in Europe. uh, uh, And when I initially started doing shows, 
in other countries. At first, I thought, oh, this is great. It'll be a chance to travel. I can learn about these countries. When I go to travel, I don't like doing touristy things. I like taking the subway. I'll take a cab. I'll go to the grocery store. I'll go to the pharmacy. I just like doing all the day-to-day normal shit and then just seeing the differences. And I did that. But what I really learned more about was my own country. And it's kind of like if you're in a bad relationship, you can't see it. Uh, but all your friends can see it, and they're yeah. like, "Why are you with that person? They're 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 horrible to you," and uh, and you don't, and you're like, "No, they're great. What are you talking about?" Then a few years later, you're out of that relationship, and you can look back and be like, "Wow, that person really was awful to me," and I, I was shocked with the how much better just some of those things were in some other countries, and then also how much less people had to work, and how much more capitalist we are than other countries. Cab drivers work eight hours a day in London. I found that shocking. Now in Amsterdam, where I was, I love these kind of stories. When I was yeah. in Amsterdam, and when I was there, there was a big story that there is so few criminals or so little crime in Amsterdam. Not that it's unknown, but it's so yeah. little crime. Even the, their bad neighborhoods, beautiful. Yes. The jails are so empty that, first of all, they offered, I think it was Finland or Sweden, one of those other pretty low-crime Scandinavian countries, we'll house your prisoners here. And the second, and they still couldn't fill up the jails, and so then they kind of spruced up the jails to make them nicer and allowed refugees to live in them until they transitioned. That's their societal problem. And they also do not have, they do not have for-profit prisons like we do. Oh, of course not. I mean, that's one of the worst things... In the world, I yeah. mean, for-profit prisons. That's yeah. that, I mean, that's that's about as corrupt as it gets. So anyway, here's my question: You go to these other countries, you're observing the world, yeah. but then it comes back, and the form that the comedy takes is not literally pointing these things out or complaining about them. It's inverting it and pretending that America has it all figured out. Yeah, and we're, we're number one. Yes. In every category. Was that even a conscious choice or because you do the world champion character? Because you're, I mean, I would say a gigantic percentage of what you've ever said on stage is things you do not believe in. In fact, I don't know how often you ever say something you actually subscribe to. My, I, I try to do my act as the opposite of preachy. Right. Y- you know, I don't like telling people what to think. I usually don't even tell them directly what I think. You kind of have to figure it out yourself. I mean, my stuff is is all jokes, lots of one-liners, lots of long, elaborate, intricately put-together jokes, and also lots of crowd work, and then sometimes it's a combination of the three. It's all satire. It's you, all you know, satire. You know, I mean, yes. I have this huge segment in the uh, bit about how, you know, we're number one in every category. We're just a better country, Canada. You only have red and white in your flag. We have red, white, and blue in our flag. That's why we're number one, because we got red, white, and blue in our flag, just like Cuba and North Korea. We're a flawless nation. America is the greatest country in the United States. You cannot argue that. You're obviously passionate. You didn't say that. I just can tell that. And you don't want to be preachy. So how can you be both passionate and non-preachy and funny? The answer is satire. You yeah. could put that passion yeah. into the character yeah, yeah, and yeah. no one faults you for being yeah. really, really passionate because it's yeah. the point you're making isn't explicitly that point. It's the opposite. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm talking about the, the big human rights issues of, of the country and the world. And unfortunately, those issues getting better is really fucking slow. Yeah. You know, so it's, you know, talking about racism and sexism 
unfortunately, is not going to be dated material. Sexism, racism, those are two. Uh, it's like the force in Star Wars. You know, these are the things that bind our nation together. <laughs> they penetrate and, and surround been there, us. They've been there since the beginning, and it flows through the whole nation. Uh, See, but that's why, unfortunately, you, that's why you, know, you just need a good blaster at your side, which you know, is uh, the uh, comedy. The new regime wants to bring back the policing tactic of stop and frisk. What do you guys think about that? I'm against it. Stop and frisk was proven to be unconstitutional and ineffective. Studies showed that 90% of the people who were stopped and frisked by police were black and Latino men. So what does that mean? Cops are gay. Cops are gay. <laughs> and they prefer black and Latino men. 90% over all other men. I think a lot of comics... They immediately view anything as PC as bad. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, oh, social justice warrior. It's like, well, Martin Luther King was a social justice warrior. You, you know, it's it's like it's like the PC movement can sometimes overreach, but often they're just, they're right. Yeah. You, you know, and then... Uh, Politically correct means a couple things, right? One well, of them is don't be racist. At the extremes, it's don't have opinions different from mine, but there's a huge continuum. Yeah. You have to listen to the people who are oppressed you know, and you have to respect their opinions, you know. Sometimes it's the people who are trying to stand up for the oppressed who are actually the most overreaching. Yeah. You, you know, not the actual people who are oppressed. You know, yeah. there's someone else saying, hey, that's not cool, that offends that person. And that person's like, oh, no, I was totally right, fine with right. that. That was that was a joke. I want to ask you about one aspect of the new special, that it's filmed yeah. in black and white. Yeah. Do you think, you talk about timelessness. I think it does make it seem more timeless. I think it does make it seem less, you know, dispensable and... Of the moment. You know, I view stand-up comedy as a very simple art form. It's a person on stage, there's a light shining on them, and there's a microphone, and there's people sitting in the front and to the sides. That's it. It's a very, very simple art form. And I I dislike most of the comedy specials and how they're made. Uh, you know, I think they're very cookie-cutter, they're very corporate, I think they're overproduced, and they're often fake in the way they're made. You know, mine's basically a documentary. Mine's basically a feature-length stand-up performance film. Netflix made me, you know, when I, I made this 100% on my own. Mm -hmm. And then when I started shopping it around and, and Netflix, you know, put an offer to wanting to buy it. You know, initially it said at the beginning, a film by Judah Friedlander. They made me edit that out. They're like, you know, it has to say a Netflix comedy original. So I'm like, all right, fucking stupid, but that's your branding or whatever. You know, yeah. you know I'm glad they made the offer. I wish they would have maybe changed that, but, you know. Why haven't you done a comedy special before this, which isn't a comedy special, it's a documentary film. Yeah, well, when I had offers before, they were always, you know, certain words you couldn't say, certain subjects you couldn't talk about. I can't be agreeing to any kind of thing. There has to be nothing. Yeah. You know, because this, this is mine. What's the special? It's yeah. the film version of your act. Right, and right, they're right. saying, oh, these 12 minutes right, right. of your well, act. Well, then that's not my act. Sure. You know, exactly. then that's yeah. not my act. Yeah. You, you know, so... Uh, so I so I turn them down for that reason. I can't give something that's the most important thing, the most personal thing that I do, and just hand it over to someone else right. and have them do it. I had to make it myself, right. and I had to figure out how to do it. And then, as far as making my own, those were my own personal hangups: uh, depression, OCD, ADD. You know, a combination and perfectionism. So I had to be like, look, it's fucking good enough. Just fucking put it in there. So so that's what I did. I had to get. 
you know, mentally better at that. And then artistically, yeah, I am happy with it. I think it came out well. Uh, is it perfect? No, but I think it came out well. I think it captures the feeling of sitting in a little venue and watching someone perform. Judah Friedlander is his name. America is the greatest country in the United States is a Judah Friedlander film, though it will be branded as a Netflix special, and that's where you can see it. Thanks a lot, Judah. That was great. Hey, thank you. And now the spiel. Donald Trump is a lot of things, incurious, incompetent, inattentive, inaccurate, insular, and infuriating. But is he insane? Or more broadly speaking, is he not well? Is he not fit? Is he not stable? So far from genius as to be judged a blithering idiot. He certainly sounds like a blithering idiot on occasion. Bing, bing, bong, bong, bing, bing. In his book, Fire and Fury, Michael Wolff says this. Some believe that for all practical purposes, he was no more than semi-literate. That is a classic wolf sentence. Some believe, for all practical purposes, no more than semi. What's that, four qualifiers? What is the definition of semi-literate? It's one of those words that doesn't have a strict definition. It's kind of fallen out of favor in actual technical circles. But I uh, found some evidence that in the 80s and the 70s, the agreed-upon definition of semi-literate was eighth-grade reading level and below. So I put a bunch of Donald Trump's tweets into uh, an engine that assessed the reading level of the verbiage. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un just stated that the nuclear button is on his desk at all times. Will someone from his depleted, I think that helps his score, and food-starved regime please inform him that I too have a nuclear button, but it is much bigger, more powerful than his. All right, the flesh Kincaid grade level on that was 8th grade. The Coleman-Lau index said 10th grade, and the Smog index judged it to be of a 9th grade level. Although, of course, under Scott Pruitt, I'm sure the Smog index will be degraded to 3. Anyway, one of the critiques about Trump and his mental capacity is that, all right, all right, Trump's an idiot, and you get the real Trump when he tweets or when he talks off the cuff, but... When he's teleprompted, when he's teleprompter Trump, those are the only times he sounds good. Well, if the charge is he's semi-literate, if you also ding him, as Wolf does, for only being good reading off the teleprompter, how is that semi-literacy? I took his recent remarks to the farmers. I put it through that index. He actually didn't do so well. Our continent was tamed by farmers. So true. Are you surprised to hear that, farmers? I don't think so. You have led the way. Great people. That was marked third grade. But other remarks, like the ones after signing an executive order, remarks he read were judged to be ninth to twelfth grade reading level. So I'll acknowledge this. The genius part of stable genius isn't is an exaggeration, but that's not the part that people focus on when they argue that Trump needs to be removed because of his mental capacity or lack thereof. It's the stability part, isn't it? That has been drawing attention. There was that long rambling interview he gave with the New York Times at his golf club. And Ezra Klein of Vox wrote of that. Uh, Here's the headline. Incoherent, authoritarian, uninformed. Trump's New York Times interview is a scary read. The president of the United States is not well. I think he's not good. I'm not sure if he's not well. All right, let me lay out the counter case. This is not saying, oh, he's fine. It's just saying maybe he's not not well. First is the fact that a rambling transcript on paper 
will always look worse than the word sound coming out of someone's mouth. When we talk, we leave out phrases, we confuse antecedents, we engage in tangents all the time. It looks worse and less natural on the page. So this was Trump during the campaign in an interview with Matt Lauer on The Intrepid, kind of a famous interview. Lauer was uh, criticized for questioning Hillary Clinton pretty harshly. And by the way, kind of interesting that of those two, Lauer's the one out of the job. Sort of like Billy Bush. When Trump is alone with someone from NBC News, one of them suffers greatly. Anyway, Trump says, When I do come up with a plan that I like and that perhaps agrees with mine, or maybe doesn't, I may love what the generals come back with. I will continue. But you have your own plan. I have a plan, but I want to be, I don't want to, look, I have a very substantial chance of winning. Make America great again. We're going to make America great again. I have a substantial chance of winning. If I win, I don't want to broadcast to the enemy exactly what my plan is. And let me tell you, if I like maybe a combination of my plan and the general's plan or the general's plan, if I like their plan, Matt, I'm not going to call you up and say, Matt, we have a great plan. This is what Obama does. That sounded horrible, didn't it? Yes. I latched onto it, but not a lot of people were making a huge deal. I think if that were released as a transcript, people would be saying, this is just gobbledygook. Here is the bigger point with that particular text, and I could have selected many like it. It's the American people heard this all during the campaign, all during the primary, and they voted for the guy or, you know, enough of them to win the electoral vote. So if we were to say, when a guy talks exactly like he talked to get elected, if we were to say, well, now he's out of office, that would just be a massive case of disenfranchisement, wouldn't it? I mean, there are some reasons to disenfranchise the people who vote for the president, but not because he acts exactly like the guy they voted for. Vanity Fair in recent weeks wrote, experts, colon, Trump's speaking style raises questions about his brain health. Well, duh, everyone's speaking style gives you an insight as to their thinking style. How do you think the words are formed? But what the article and so many like it do is they find an expert. There are a couple people who are widely quoted on this, and they go back to an interview that Trump did 20 or 30 years ago. They said he seemed more articulate then. Now, this analysis has pitfalls. When the, the experts in the Vanity Fair headline, here's one. John Montgomery, a psychologist in New York City, an adjunct professor at NYU, says, I think it's pretty safe to say that Trump has had significant cognitive decline over the years. No one observing Trump from afar, though, can tell whether that's, quote, an indication of dementia or normal cognitive decline that many people experience as they age or whether it's due to other factors such as stress and emotional upheaval. Well, of course, they were comparing interviews he did with David Letterman or Howard Stern or even Charlie Rose. Of course, they're going to be less stressful than when Donald Trump has to defend his role in the Russia investigation When Donald Trump was being asked by Howard Stern about women's bodies, a little less at stake than when Donald Trump is trying to talk his way out of jail, if that's indeed how he perceives it. So one of the big interviews that people cite, they've cited this often. This is a 1987 interview with Larry King, and it is said that he is much more articulate then. Okay, I'm going to play you some. I'm going to quote some and play you some. He uses a softer tone. Larry King lobs softballs. You respond in kind, not fire and fury. But... Maybe he's less articulate. He's still plenty inarticulate. Japan is one of the wealthiest machines ever created. Saudi Arabia. And it's not, hey, let me tell you, I'm a big beneficiary of Japan. They buy my apartments in spades. They're fine people. But they must be, they're laughing to themselves as to what's happening over here. We're not kidding ourselves. They're laughing to themselves, Larry, as to what's happening Uh, in this country. 
We're not kidding ourselves. They're laughing to themselves, Larry, as to what's happening with this country. And that seems to be a very, very similar style in thinking and speaking. I blame an Asian outsider. You claim that America's being laughed at. You even do the little shtick about, hey, but they're great customers. But you see how he brings up a word and then he goes back or he'll say Saudi Arabia. And then he said, hey, Japan. So it's almost as if the words go faster than the thoughts in his head. And it's maybe a little hard for us, the listener, to keep up. I just played one clip. That whole interview is rife with digressions and non sequiturs. Also consider that Trump is the most scrutinized person in America. We're seeking, many people are seeking evidence that confirms our idea that he's adult. So he mismouths the words to the national anthem. Did he? Or was that an echo inside the stadium? Or he makes some stupid point about Puerto Rico being an island. This is an island surrounded by water, big water ocean water. Okay, but here from a week or so ago was New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who may literally be a genius, and he seems pretty stable to me, talking about Long Island. It is an island. Uh, It's off the water. The wind off the water on Long Island, which is a narrow strip of land, uh, creates mayhem. Now, I guess Trump would also add, and not only is it an island, it's very long, quite long. Not a lot of people know that. When you scrutinize a man you hate, who is a syntactical nightmare, it's easy to convince yourself that he is unfit. But contrast this to someone who you regard as a hero, or at least like John McCain, with that vote to kill healthcare who's so bold and so brave. Or if you have a different point of view going in, maybe you say, oh, that was so over the top. That was so unexpected. What was that about? It seemed very impulsive. John McCain has a brain tumor. He is clearly impaired. Remember the Comey testimony? So you reached a conclusion. In the case of Mr. Comey, you, uh, the President uh, Comey, excuse me, in the case of President Trump, you uh, have an ongoing investigation. But no one's trying to impeach John McCain. John McCain's a better person. John McCain's a better policymaker. Trump fails on those regards. So it's very hard to separate that from his sanity. It's not that I'm sure that Trump is sane. He might not be. But chasing this angle definitely makes us feel good. And I'm not, by the way, advocating ignoring the evidence that he is insane. But you don't have to dwell on how he processes. Just look at the product. That's the stuff that should be at least voted against. And if the evidence is there, maybe impeached over either the Russia stuff or emoluments. That's the stuff that should be at least voted down. And if the evidence is there, Trump could be impeached over the stuff that he's actually produced, either the emolument stuff or the Russia stuff. For liberals, it's not exactly in the realm of contrails or info wars. It's more like during the Bush administration obsessing over the Carlisle group. Yeah, the Iraq war was conceived of by people who turned around and made money on the war and probably worked in the private sector as uh, war profiteers beforehand, being very harsh in my description, but that's accurate. It's disturbing. It's very hard to adequately prove a quid pro quo and to affect the political change you need based on that fact. I think that actual smart, sane people in Washington can still hold Trump accountable in real ways. Ezra Klein, remember in that Vox article, this is how, this is how he sums it up. It is plainly obvious from Trump's words that this is not a man fit to be president that he is not well or capable in some fundamental way. I would change his words to his deeds. I think it's obvious from his deeds that he's not fit to be president. 
And I wouldn't necessarily sign off on the word well. I don't know if he's well or not. He seems terrible, but I don't know if he's unwell. But I will end with another thought from Ezra Klein that I heard him recently say on a podcast that I think was really apt. That's the point of being an elite, that, that, that they're there as a safeguard. You have to do that when there is going to be backlash. So the point of being an elite is not that you give blind quotes to Politico. It's that when the country <laughs> needs you, you step the fuck up. And that is right. There are responsible, competent people who have a sense of duty who can save us. They just have to act with stability and sobriety rather than prove that Trump is guided by insanity. And that's it for today's show. The gist was produced by Pierre Bien-Aimé. It's quick to point out that there are many islands that could be thought of as isthmuses if only elected officials would get out there and discuss the specific geography. Would help us all. Senior producer Mary Wilson thinks that sanity and insanity are really tough to prove. How about whack? Maybe that could be the standard. Is the guy whack? Is he, in fact, wiggity-whack? Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcast, says that, yes, sanity is important, but perhaps the 25th Amendment could include the following words. Farcical, risible, daft, absurd. But you have to say it. You have to stretch it out like John Hausman. Absurd. The gist, my simple test for presidential mental fitness. You get the first question wrong on HQ, you're out of there. Oomperu depperu duperu, and thanks for listening. Bing, bing. No, it's bing, 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 bing. It's bing, 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 bing.